podcast this week, we chat to Zachary Levi, star of Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, and find he's a good egg. Chicken egg. We also make a plan to natter with Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan, stars of The Family Plan. All that and more on the movie podcast that is missing the Empire Office Christmas lunch today and is inconsolable at passing up the chance to bellow, it's turkey time. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) One of the greatest lines in the history of movies. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, our penultimate podcast before Christmas descends upon us all. Uh, and it's a special gift to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. I am not in the studio. I'm dialing in via the magic of technology, just as Santa will. Lovely, good old Santa. Uh, anyway, those two colleagues of such lethal cunning are... James Dyer, what were you just doing, Jimbo? I've, I've got I've got you on camera so I you can have. see what you were doing. <laughs> no, like nothing sliver. untoward. I was not touching myself. <laughs> I was simply touching my screen. Uh, I was plugging the charger into my phone so that I could see your face the way that filmmakers intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very low yeah. angle on me at the moment, so I look, I look quite heroic. I mean, should we, I'll take a screen grab of this, actually, just so I can... <laughs> I can it is. It's very Bayesian. I can share this. It's a, it's a very Bay shot. If we could just rotate the camera around you slightly, this, uh, this is a, this yeah. a good... It's a good bad boys type. Yeah, uh, I'm going to hire Uncle Mike to do that. Uh, <laughs> and also in the studio for the last time this year, because he's about to go to Melbourne, mate. He's about to go over and and engage with the tip the tip nippers and, and the, the cock, cock biters. biters. <laughs> cock biters, mate. It's a one woman, mate. He's going to Melbourne, mate. Hello, everyone. I am regretting telling Chris and James that I am going to Melbourne because I have a feeling that's not the last time I'm going to be hearing that Oh, accent. mate, have you, have you perfected your Australian accent for when you go out there? I have not yet, um, but... I'm on, you should blend in, disappear with any luck. You've got the grail already, mate. (laughs) It's going to be very interesting, the first pod back in January, to see what my voice sounds like. I I can't wait. Well, also, you'll be feeling a bit out of sorts because you'd have been upside down for a few weeks, and that wouldn't be uh, (laughs) disorientating, I would think. In the upside down. So something I wanted to mention before we kick off is that the James Cameron 4K editions of, you know, True Lies and The Abyss and crucially my favourite film of all time, Aliens, are apparently now available. Now, I have not bought Mm -hmm. any of those on streaming because they're not available on physical media until March. And I want the physical media because it comes with like two commentaries and a load of documentary special features like nice. probably like an old school dvd like packed with special features that no one mm. really does these days but i was reading the reviews because this is how i spend my time reading the reviews of 4k transfers <laughs> of films and obviously they've gone back to the original 35 millimeter for, for aliens and they've 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 done like a, a digital intermediate but mm. so it's 4k but crucially like i don't know how familiar you are with aliens how many times you've watched it I'm on but it's a mm. very very grainy film like mm. it's a lot of film gray on it and cameron has in the past expressed some regret over that because it's very grainy they have have all but removed almost all the grain. Oh. So they've scrubbed it up and apparently it now looks like almost like a very modern digital film. Not completely. There's a little bit of texture in there. Like they haven't completely, because otherwise I think it would look weird, but Mm. they haven't done it with some sort of, um, you know, noise reduction AI thing, which Mm. is awful, which a lot of of releases do. Mm. It has been painstakingly done, I believe, by hand. And I am, I could not be more excited to watch it. (laughs) So Uh, Some people are up in arms about this. Some people have not, uh, I've seen people on Twitter already going that this is not good. Someone shared a, 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 a still from True Lies and they compared it to a previous iteration and it looked like it had been smoothed by mm-hmm. AI. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that AI was involved, but 
You know, it looked like it had been digitally smoothed. Well, that, but that's, that? I mean, there's a fundamental difference in the texture between digital films and stuff that's shot on actual film. And I think grain is a big part of that. And it'll be weird for someone who's seen Alien so many hundreds of times, and I'm so used to the grain of it, what it will look like now. But equally, Cameron himself has said that like he has an issue with the amount of grain on that film. And clearly he has had oversight of this, and this is his creative, you know, as the filmmaker, this is his creative choice. So I'm like, if if it is the director's choice, then just go with it. And yes, you could say, but but James, <laughs> exhibit A, George Lucas, exhibit B, E.T. and the walkie-talkies. And yes, it is true, filmmakers occasionally shit the bed. But in this particular case, in Cameron, we trust. Mm. All right, okay. So we have a, a question. Someone's asked who the worst on-screen Santa is. That's that's not very Christmassy. <laughs> I mean, mm. Winthorpe like eating the salmon is a pretty bad Santa. Even worse than actual bad Santa, I would argue. You know yeah. how like you're not allowed to to take your head off when you're at uh, a Disney World in character. Like the thing's not allowed uh, to do while you're in character. Mm. I'm fairly certain while in character as Father Christmas, one should not brandish a firearm. <laughs> <laughs> Or eat salmon, you know, frankly. <laughs> that seems fair. It's the way the salmon sticks to his beard. It's, oh, it's, it's just, so upsetting. It's, frankly, it's just wrong. <laughs> it's so wrong. That's that's probably as great a depiction of rock bottom as I've ever seen on screen. It's the way he growls as well when he's challenged. And he, goes, and he just becomes feral in that moment. It's, it's amazing. Do love that. Um... All right, Amon, do you have a do you have a contender for the worst on-screen Santa? We're going to take a couple of Christmas questions. We'll race through each one. I've only ever watched films where the Santas have been good. <laughs> I, the Santas uh, could be good, but they can also be bad. They can God, be badly acted. Santa's rubbish, even in Santa Claus the movie. So you know, uh, I don't know if you guys, I don't know whether you've tackled on the pilot TV podcast, Jimbo, <laughs> the Santa Clauses, the two seasons. We have not the Santa in fact, reviewed the Santa Clauses. Well, that's a complete and utter uh, dereliction of duty. And you know, you say that you were dedicated on the Pilot TV podcast to talking about cinematic TV, and yet you ignore the Santa Clauses. What the fuck are you doing? I know, it's shocking, isn't it? We should shut down the podcast. Naughty or nice? Yeah, yeah. I'd say Tim Allen. Tim Allen is the worst on-screen Santa, isn't he? He's just yes, that those those films aren't good. They're not, and need to be stopped. Yeah, at all costs. At all costs. Uh, Amon just loves Santa so much. Yeah. Amon, do you know about Santa? I do know about Santa. Have you been told? <laughs> Have you had the conversation? <laughs> We've had many chats that have been very informative about what he does at Christmas, the spirit of the season, all the rest of it about presents. He's a good dude. <laughs> oh, you know what they say, Amon. <laughs> Satan Claus is out there right now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> You're just a regular old Grinch, aren't you? <laughs> he really is. He really is. Um, Max Sam author asks, what is it that makes It's a Wonderful Life, The Shop Next Door, Muppet Christmas Carol, etc. stand the test of time as Christmas movies? And then he says in brackets, presumably to get a rise out of us, mm-hmm. and no, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Oh, no. no I mean, I'm we're not, not having this again. I'm not going to rise to this. this Incontrovertibly. The movie that takes place on Christmas Eve, uh, that uses Christmas as a huge part of its plot, that has many Christmas songs on <laughs> the soundtrack and has characters wishing each other a Merry Christmas, is absolutely not a Christmas movie. What the fuck are you on? Uh, anyway, what is it that makes those other movies stand the test of time as Christmas movies? Why do they stand out and yet other ones don't? I couldn't say since I only ever watch Love Actually each year. So, <laughs> as someone who is who only just watched It's a Wonderful Life, uh, was it last year or the year before? Fairly recently. Um, what did you think? 
I loved it. Uh, I can see why it holds up. It's pretty good. Um, and there's just universal themes in those movies that are so effectively communicated that I think that's why they stand the test of time because they're always family, friends, wanting to be a better version of yourself. These are things that, you know, 10, 20, 30, 1,000 years from now are still going to be things that we sort of are compelled by. Um, and when they're as effectively communicated in a film like It's a Wonderful Life or Muppet's Christmas Carol, um, and everyone can resonate with it on, cert on a certain level, um, you're going to find that people keep returning to films such as these. And I'm glad that they do. I think there is a level of schmaltzy bullshit <laughs> that we are simply better equipped to deal with at this time of year. I think like any other day of the year or any other time of the year, we just be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but but there is a, you know, this it's like this, this weird time Christmases where mm. this sort of sense of like, you know, warmth and cheesiness kind of descends on you. And what you want is these kind of schmaltzy films about self-improvement and being a better person, you know, in, in a way that, and I, like, I genuinely think you have more of a tolerance for it. Uh, around this time of year and I think we quite like it it's it is I mean I've always wondered what a cockle is and how one warms it but I think it does that particular job you find out one of those sex parties with Tom and Nicole yes and, um, and Buddy the Elf and Santa Claus I'll warm your cockles <laughs> uh, steady uh, Neil Matheson 72 asks as year round film reviewers do you go to the cinema on Christmas day or is that the one day you stay at well, home cinemas are closed on Christmas day surely in this country they are I mean they absolutely they are. are open I mean, are they are they open on Boxing Day in the UK? They are open yes. on Boxing Day. Okay, yes. but Christmas yeah. Day, everything is shut, right? Except for yeah. metro stations. Yeah. That is correct, yes. But even if and they weren't, I wouldn't go possible. to the cinema on, on Christmas Day. Uh, that's time. I totally would. No, for me, I mean, well, it's going to be sort of, we're going away from what we've traditionally done this year because we're going to be in a whole other country. But normally what we do is, that's time with the family at home. Um, we sort of, uh, go to church uh, in the morning, come back. Uh, for some, <laughs> my mum is very much into watching the Queen's speech. What used to be the what the film? <laughs> With, yeah. No, it's going to be the King's speech, I presume, uh, this year. Um, what the film? <laughs> <laughs> Walked right into that one. Um, and then after that, we uh, have our Christmas meal. And then after that, we do presents. We save presents till the very, very end. And then people, oh, that's interesting. Hang on, hang on. When do you do presents? That's we interesting. We do presents sort of after we have the uh, Christmas meal, which is after... Oh, my God. The, freak yeah. show. So, <laughs> <laughs> see, see our, our, our approaches, our different approaches have been laid bare there, Jimbo. The mom said something, and I was like, that's interesting. And you just go, freak show, immediately. I'm sorry. Listen. Yeah. At the crack of dawn, that is when you open wow. your presents. Like, once the... <laughs> Sun. In fact, not even the crack of dawn. As soon as it's past midnight, it's fair game. Quite frankly, I'm like, as soon as it's Christmas Day, wow, presents. We do, we do one. We do one at midnight, or one just as it hits midnight. Uh, one present, mm. and then we leave the rest until morning. But but now we're obviously in a position where Father Christmas is making a stop. Right. Uh, and so Little Drinking Game is not going to be up at midnight uh, or if she is <laughs> you she's going to be chloroformed um, she's not going to be chloroformed if anyone from the social services is listening to this she is absolutely not going to be chloroformed she's going to be an absinthe she's going to be totally totally absolutely out of her mind by that point anyway she's not going to be an absinthe of course not uh, she'll be on crack she's not going to be on crack anyway um, 
Amon, that's really, really interesting. So what did you yeah. do what did you do back in the day when when Santa did pay you a visit? Did you did you still do the same thing? Or was he like, you know, or were you one of those kids you got up in the morning and all the presents were there waiting for you? <laughs> I think back when Santa used to say what's up, um I did get to <laughs> Ho 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 sup. <laughs> I did get to open that present early, but we've always opened the presents. That's like oh. the last thing that we do. Okay, but, but again, is, this is, this yeah, is an interesting wrinkle. It's we get an insight patience, into the warm and James. family Christmas. I can't understand. Explain to me what that means. I'm on, I'm on. <laughs> one more thing here. You, you said something really interesting there. I know it was an accident, but I'm going to get into it. Um, one present? You said yeah. when Santa came, you opened that present. So did you yeah. only get one present from Santa Claus? Someone was a naughty child. <laughs> you guys got more than one present? Was I'm it annoyed coal-shaped? Was that... Uh, <laughs> did you burn the present for fuel? <laughs> Was it wow. an empty tin of lube? <laughs> what was it? I have a really bad memory when it comes to these sorts of things in terms of what the presents actually were. But I do think it was only the one. Um, That's so, interesting. Yeah. So was it a big present? Was it like, so if you got down on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, it would be like the big one. It would be like, you know, a bike or a yeah. snooker table or a, a snooker Ferrari. Table. I got a I got a snooker table once. Nice. Uh, a five. It, it was only five. It was like a full feet, full size snooker table. It was like the twelve feet ones, but it was like yeah. a five feet snooker table that uh, my dad uh, assisted Santa Claus in constructing. Mm. And when he heard me stirring upstairs, uh, he was <laughs> unable to finish the snooker table in time. Um, so I've always had had something something of a vendetta against Santa Claus uh, since then. You but, yeah. just reminded me. We have been talking about playing pool for a long time and it still hasn't happened i still haven't destroyed you on the pool table and that needs to 2024 oh we need God. to that's that's big talk oh i'm on that is big talk <laughs> it's very it's very chris, very chris has talk. some game on the felt oh does i'm he? just gonna say okay yeah. <laughs> we haven't done it's, pool it's, we haven't done fifa yeah all these things we used to have yeah. an office pool table which was felted mm. in empire red those were the days <laughs> nice absolutely yeah. true how did you guys ever Those get any work done? Oh we really God. didn't. We really didn't. We had a foosball table as well. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a different it was, time. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. Uh, anyway, listen, we're not answering the question. The question was, of course, would you go to the cinema on, on Christmas Day? Or do you go to the cinema? No, we don't because no. they're closed and they mm. frown upon you breaking in. Although I would <laughs> happily do so in order to watch Wonka on Christmas Day because I think Wonka would be an amazing Christmas Day film. Uh, is it the one day we stay at home? Yes, I, I'm on. I've got a feeling there, the cinemas are open in Melbourne. So you oh. might be able to go in. Yeah, okay. you might be able to. We'll for Wonka plays, mate. <laughs> we'll see. I have no idea what Christmas Day is going to uh, be like in, in Melbourne. Uh, but I'm excited to find out. We're going to do a lot of new things that I've never done before. It's the first time in my life that I'm spending Christmas and New Year's outside the UK. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea what to expect really, but I'm excited to, to find out. That's exciting. Uh, all right. Okay. So I said two more questions, but we took a long time answering that one. And uh, I believe at some point we did talk tangentially about films. So it does kind of tick the box. So that's, that's fine. Uh, we've got a lot of Christmas questions we're going to discuss on next week's show because we are going to be doing a show next week. And traditionally, we take a break over the Christmas period. Either we take a week off or we take two weeks off. But because episode 600 of the podcast <laughs> is now on January 20th, uh, we can't take a break. Damn you, mathematics! <laughs> In order for that episode to be episode 600, we have to record 
an episode every single week over the Christmas period. Yeah. And this, this um, is what we I, do I for you, listeners. This, these are these sacrifices <laughs> yeah. we make. Is Pilot TV going to be recording over Christmas? Is it fuck? But no, we should be here, <laughs> we should be here slaving away watching films for your benefit. <laughs> yes, indeed. So we will have episodes on the 22nd and on the 29th and then on Jan 12th and on Jan 5th as well. Uh, leading up to episode 600, which is, of course, might as well get a shameless plug in while we're here, uh, going to be at King's Place in London on the Saturday, Jan 20th. It's going to be very, very exciting indeed. It is pretty much bar, I think, about 10 tickets uh, which are in the balcony section at the moment, uh, sold out. It is sold out and streaming tickets are now going to be available, I think, from the moment you listen to this. So if you can't make it and you fancy watching this live in a sort of unexpurgated, uncut styly, then you can buy a streaming pass for that, which will last for a couple of weeks or so after the show has gone. And uh, it'll be out as a podcast edited and in order and with all the libelous stuff cut out um, <laughs> on probably either the next day or the day after that. So that's exciting. But kingsplace.co.uk if you want to snap up one of the remaining in-person tickets or if you want to buy a streaming pass, it's going to be off the fucking chain. Anyway, if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast, get in touch with us uh, on Twitter Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my tweets once you stop laughing, of course, or you can reply to a panicked shout out as a lot of people did today. So thank you indeed to everybody for that. Shall we have a guest? Let's do it. All right. So who do you want? Do you want Zachary Levi, the star of Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget? Or do you want Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan, stars of The Family Plan? I think let's go full Wahlberger. Not just because uh, Michelle Monaghan was in uh, one of the all-time great Christmas movies. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. <laughs> she was indeed. Mark Wahlberg has not yet made a great Christmas movie, but there is still time. Uh, but he and Michelle Monaghan star in this week's The Family Plan, which hits Apple TV Plus today, uh, the 15th of December. And in it, Mark Wahlberg plays a super spy who has been married to Michelle Monaghan and has raised a family and has a lovely life in Buffalo uh, and has not told Michelle Monaghan what he does for a living. When he said, I do, he didn't say what he did. Uh, and then his past catches up with him and he and his family have to go on the run across America. But the catch is he still hasn't told them what he does. So they think they're just going on a lovely impromptu family holiday. Uh, there's some action hijinks in here. There's some comedy hijinks as well. And there's a lot of uh, great chemistry between Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan. As I found out when I spoke to them as well uh, last week on Zoom. And uh, this is one of those podcasts that doesn't really have an intro. We kind of just started talking and then kind of went with the flow after that. And this is a very family-friendly comedy, but this is a very, very, very sweary <laughs> podcast chat, as you are about to find out. Do please motherfucking enjoy. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, hey how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, you can swear in this, by the way. Just to let you know, it's a, po it's a podcast. I so. just, love yeah. just preface that. Oh, shit. We were just talking about all this nice, yeah. family-friendly film, and now it's fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to introduce you as the, uh, the stars of the motherfucking family plan, if that's, if that's okay with you. <laughs> fucking up our movie and our audience. Huh? <laughs> So just 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 to give you a little insight, you know, we're we're sitting there, my wife and I. It was the other day, Wednesday. It was game night. She comes up with some game. We're kind of like we've got to, you know, decipher these riddles, right? So me, Brendan, Grace, you know, Brendan finally comes down. He's like, "What's the game?" 
we're all sitting there and Annie's there and and then she's describing the game and he's like this is kind of weird he's like all right well fuck it let's play and we all looked at him like what did you just say he's like let's just play i said no you didn't you said fuck it let's play you said fuck it and like it was nothing bro and he's like no, what why would I never do that. <laughs> he sits down, and of course, all three of us heard it clear as day, and he's pretending. And I, but for the last couple of weeks, everything has been freaking this and freaking that. So of course, you know, that's all you're doing, playing video games, swearing and cursing at his <laughs> imaginary fucking friends out there in Cyberland. <laughs> but yeah, that happened. It's a it's a landmark moment in your life, I think, when you swear in front of your parents for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big well, time. He, he, he got away with that. We didn't think it was that big a deal, considering. <laughs> Do you remember yours? Do you remember? Not that we're getting not to get too much on the swearing, but uh, do you remember the first time you swore in front of your parents? Because I do, because I can still feel the, uh, the, the. I remember the slap that came along with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There I you go. Remember. There you go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's, let's forget about swearing for the time being. Although, if an F bomb does find its way into our conversation, then so be it. So be it. Um, obviously, you played husband and wife. In Patriot's Day, which is a very, very different film, obviously, very, very serious film, very different film tonally. But I, I can imagine that the last few years have been the two of you going, we need to do something else together. Yeah, well, I was obviously looking for an opportunity to work with Michelle again. And when this film came up, I was like, you know, who better? And she just also made it enjoyable for everybody. You know, she kind of sets the tone. It's like she's not complaining. Nobody else has a right to. And she's doesn't complain about anything. She's a joy to work with. Um, lots and lots of fun. And it, it became fun again. And I don't know if it's because of COVID, new restrictions and everything, but, you know, sometimes filmmaking be, can become a real task. And, you know, I still obviously appreciate the opportunity to make film, but, you know, it doesn't mean that it's like, just like, oh my God, can't wait to get to work. Or I'm not anxiously looking at the clock to, you know, you know, to see when the day is going to end, but she made it a joy and she made it fun again, which was uh, very nice. Yeah, I was so excited to get to work with Mark again. And when when I read the script, I was I fell in love with it because it was such a fun role. It was such a great, uh, fun film, like an action comedy, which family action comedy. I mean, come on, those are so rare. Uh, and you know, this was something that I had been wanting to do for a while is to kind of, you know, dabble my, you know, dabble in the comedic again, because it's been quite some time. So, um, you know, getting to work with Mark, we just have a great rapport with each other. We also have similar personal lives where we've both been with the same partner for a really long time. We both have teenage kids. So just the material itself felt very relatable and something that we could just easily dive into together. It was great. You know, it's a road trip movie and you're thinking most, I guess, these days, a lot of that would be faked in the studio and there'd be a lot of green screen stuff. And I'm sure there was a, a fair amount of green screen in this, but you also went to a lot of these locations. There's a lot of shots of you yeah. guys in oh, these locations. Yeah. And that must be fun as well, just to get out and about and on the road and, and do that side of things. Yeah, that was that was in the getting up really early in the morning to go see Hoover Dam. That was a little intense, but, <laughs> but it was. For me, it's close to home. 
Yeah, it was close to home, but it was, it was, it, it, you really felt the, the vibe of the, of the film, you know, we were all piling in and the, the car was, you know, incrementally getting, you know, messier and, and all of these things. And it was just, it was really fun. We had a great cast. Our kids were wonderful. Yeah. Everybody bonded. And as Mark said, it was just, it was really a lot of fun. I, I, we enjoyed the process so much and we had a wonderful um, director, Simon, um, Kathleen Jones, and he's a really he's the most jolly guy there is he's so enthusiastic and just affable and it was just really fun getting to work with him day in and day out because he loved the project so much as well so mark you've you've bonded with simon you're you you work with him again almost immediately as well yeah yeah oh we had a blast our first go around and obviously loved what he did on ballers and you know he um he's super talented fast smart um knows when to kind of reel it in and when to let people play and try things and um you know we had a great time working on arthur the king and so of course you know when, when i read the script we recommended him right away and uh yeah he's a he's a real joy to work with that moment when you bond with a director you know mark you, you and peter berg worked together 438 times uh, by my last reckoning <laughs> uh, and michelle as well you know when you bond with a director when you really know that it's clicking what's what's that like for you. Oh, it's awesome. When I feel like I can just be authentically myself. And as Mark just said, like gives you kind of the space. You feel like a safe space to kind of try anything. Listen, I don't sing at all. Like I'm not a singer, but I sang Ice Ice Baby for Simon. (laughs) Great. It's as close to singing as I'll get. Adele, Jennifer Hudson, that's singing. That's true. Exactly. I can't sing. But like, that's, that's like, I'll do anything for him. You know, I do anything for him as well. You know, um, she's so, not self-conscious like that. Like me, no. I was like, no, I was dying inside. I was, but I just, I won't let him see me sweat. Oh, when you work with someone, when yeah. you have a, when you have a relationship with somebody to collaborate and you feel like you're safe to, you know, risk looking ridiculous and being vulnerable, but trying stuff and knowing you're in good hands and working yeah. with somebody who's really talented. That's uh that's always a plus because yeah. if, if you know if you look at you know the exact opposite of that where somebody is unsure insecure doesn't you know seem to know exactly what to do or how to do it that, yeah that's the worst situation in the yeah. world yeah. <laughs> i can imagine uh but were you trepidatious mark about rapping in this you know given your your background uh, and, and on top of it being vanilla ice i mean yeah, yeah you know <laughs> uh you know, it was one of those things where, I mean, he literally came to us. It was like, well, you know, he sent us a bunch of songs. Some of them were like Irish folk songs to like yeah. all this. Red. Simon's into the kind of obscure and, you know, he's meanwhile dancing and jamming to all these songs yeah. like a crazy person. He's behind the monitor, just yeah. like dancing along Smashing with him. Smashing his head off the monitor. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but you know what? We embraced it and yeah. thought it was fun, and it's a, it's a, it's actually a really really fun great moment. So you mentioned Adele there actually, and there's a there's a thread in the film about whether Dan and Jess might get to see Adele when they get to Vegas. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but did you get to see Adele, or whenever you were in Vegas, what you know? How did you how did you let your hair down? Michelle pointed to Mark, which indicates oh, that Mark, you Adele. saw Adele. Of course I saw Adele. He, he got to see Adele. He did. Listen, Actually, Adele, sure. Adele put me to sleep last night. <laughs> he listens okay. to Adele every night. 
when I'm not home. Did I say if, that? Yeah, of course. You're the fucking adult. <laughs> when I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. I actually, last night I went to bed without Adele. This is your sleep story. Well, I went to bed without Adele, and but I went to, um, I live on the West Coast. I'm on East Coast time for the first time. Trying to go to bed at like 7 30, 8 o'clock to wake up early and get on the early East Coast time zone. And then I woke up at like 9 30. I was like, oh my God, I'm awake already. I went to the bathroom. I came back and I was like, oh, I, wait a second here. I know what to do. Put on 21. And for whatever reason, I have the new iPhone 15. It didn't stop after the first plane. I've got a bad shoulder. So I've been having a problem sleeping for the last four days. Yeah. Oh, I wake up, one of my songs will be on. And then. I could just roll over to one side. I go back to sleep. I was supposed to wake up at four o'clock East Coast time, which is one o'clock Vegas, and I slept until five forty-five wow. because of Adele. So That's there you go. Really late. Wow, Adele does it for Adele does it. People might be rushing out to buy. I was going to say people might be rushing out to buy twenty-one after this, but I think enough people have it already. I think she's she's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, uh, find somebody who doesn't have it. I went with my wife and I. It was an amazing concert. Delivered on every level. Amazing. Michelle, how come you didn't wangle tickets to Adele? What happened there? You know what? We didn't, I didn't have I the- She was playing then. I, she, she may not have been playing it because she kind of goes off and on. Oh, yeah. But she's coming back on, I think, like January no, through I think March she was or supposed something. to be performing that she postponed the tour. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to see her in her next, in her next, uh, you know, her next time slot. So, but definitely, yeah, I can't miss Adele. Right after the holiday show. Yeah. She's oh, yeah. There you go. I want you to listen to Liz because I know she's a big listener of this podcast. She's just, she's going to be all over it. It's going to be free, yeah. free tickets for everybody. She's probably sitting at home waiting for this podcast to come out. <laughs> she's going, why is there not? There's not enough swearing in this podcast for my liking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's what she's he thinking. She likes to swear. Yeah, she does. She does. I've, I've, I've been to a, one of her concerts. It was very, very sweary. I loved it. Um, but Michelle, do you do you get to sleep with, with Adele? Does Adele put you to sleep? What is, he, or no, what is your oh sleep routine? So... So I, I, I confess, Matthew McConaughey did a sleep story on the call map and it always puts me to sleep. I, it sounds terrible. Like it's, and it's so weird because he's a friend and a co-star, obviously a former co-star, but I love the call map and all I too, I'm away from home a lot working and I just need that little something to put me to sleep. So I rely on like sleep stories and he has one that I swear to God, I'm probably 10. I don't think I've ever finished it, but it's just a great sleep story. So Jeez. Matthew, yeah. I yeah, can see that. Yeah. He's got a very soothing voice. It's very yeah, calming it's voice. Great, they're up in space. There's something going on. I don't know. And then it, I'm just out. I'm just out. No. Try and tell. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to send you Matthew's sleep story and you try that. <laughs> I don't veer away from it though. <laughs> Mark, I can see this. I can see this in your career. I can see a diversification coming for you. You should do sleep stories. I mean, no, you I should. You should. I'll try. I kind of want to do one too. I'm putting it yeah. out there. Yeah. I think, I think you guys should do the family plan, calm app, sleep story time. <laughs> there you go. Well, this is just the two of you yelling at each other for for, for, for ninety minutes. There's gunfire in the background. I think this could be this could be the big thing. This could be the big thing. Uh, anyway, I could let you guys go in a second, but uh, I, I just wanted to ask. But there's 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 a thread running through the film. Dan and Jess in the movie have been married for about eighteen years. That keeps being brought up as eighteen years, and I was just thinking about where that put to both of you. For example, if you go back eighteen years or so in terms of your careers, and yeah. it's about two thousand five, two thousand six. 
So Mark, you're doing the likes of Four Brothers. You're about to go into The Departed. And Michelle, Kiss Kiss Bang Bangs, you know, just coming out, yeah. Mission 3. Wow, Do you look back in those? Yeah, I know. Wow. It's so, he's getting ready to work with Shane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. what's, what's, that, wow. what's that like for you? You know, do you think back in those times fondly in particular? Oh, gosh. Yes, I had. Listen, that that movie just really defined my career. I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, that was just an opportunity of a lifetime. I had the best time working with Shane, um, you know, talking about directors feeling safe and comfortable in and feeling like you could try anything. Great writing, great material. And Robert really took me under his wing. I mean, he really taught me actually how to improv. Um, for real, I didn't even, he told me we were going to improv a scene. And I said, well, what do you, what do you, what's that? What is that? What is that? And he goes, it means we're not going to say the words that Shane wrote. And I was like, oh, okay, shit. You know, how'd that go? Exactly. We, you know, and so that was great. And then, you know, right after that, um, you know, I, I did Mission Impossible 3, which, you know, really launched my career and so grateful to that franchise. And, um, I got married the same year. So we've been married 18 years to my husband. So that was a, an, a pivotal time and a time that I look back with um, a profound gratitude, but probably I have more gratitude now because I've been, you know, working steadily for the last, you know, 18, 20 years. And I just I'm, love my career. I love my job. Um, and it's still thriving with the likes of, you know, people like him. I'm so grateful. That's not bad. Uh, that's not bad at all. Uh, Mark, I've got to let you guys go, but um, just want to ask very, very quickly about the upcoming Shane Black experience. I'm a huge Shane Black fan. So that's going to be a hell of a thing. Do you know what you let yourself in for? <laughs> uh, I think so. I mean, it, the script was just one of the best scripts I've ever read. You know, character is crazy. It's just, you know, um, it's all right there on the page. I mean, I, you know, if he wants to play around and improvise, obviously I'm always game. But, you know, I've been working on the script now since... I kind of signed on around June, July. Um, and, you know, with the strike and everything, obviously we got postponed, but uh, I am rip, raring, ready to go. Amazing. It's Christmas. It's Shane Black's time of year. So I, I wish you both. It, it is. is. It very much is. Uh, <laughs> so it's time for an annual rewatch of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Uh, guys, it's been an absolute motherfucking pleasure talking to both of you. Thanks so much, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, that was Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan and The Family Plan it will be discussed later on in the show in the reviews section. Uh, now let's talk about movie news. Where shall we start, folks? What has been happening in the world of movie news? What have you got for me? Amon, what have you got for me? I think, you know, we should uh, start with James, who I'm sure is very eager to talk about a certain oh. trailer which dropped. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. Uh when that dropped into my timeline, I was like, June! <laughs> and I clicked on it. Oh, it was such a good trailer. It was such a good trailer. And it made me, I once really happy that it's coming, but really sad that it's coming in March and not, you know, when it was supposed to come out last month. Uh, but I am I am so unbelievably psyched for this film. We saw... This is the uh, the trailer for Miller's Girl starring <laughs> right, yeah. Martin Freeman, right? You know, we saw the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. We saw Walken. You know, we mm. saw Princess Irulan. Uh, we saw so many, so many sort of iconic moments. And then, of course, the piece de resistance. Fremen riding Sandman. Sandmans? That, <laughs> no, okay, now that's a crossover. <laughs> Fremen riding Sandman into battle is a film I need to see. <laughs> but in this trailer, no, it, they were, in fact, sandworms. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it, that is cinema. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very, 
very cool trailer on a pure filmmaking level. There's a lot to be excited about here. I'm excited also that we're going to get a lot more of Zendaya in this film than we got in the first part. Um, I think she's one of the best actors working today. Between this and Challengers, 2024 is going to be a big year for her, and I'm excited to see both of those films. I haven't seen the trailer yet, to be honest. Are you trying to intentionally avoid, avoid it, or...? Is this something that you no, actually I just want to forgot. see? I can reenact it I... for you if you like. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> yes, please do. Please do. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh no. No, James That's is doing unspeakable things. Oh no. Dear Lord. <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> hastily rescuing this. Uh, did you yes. see the Paddington yes. stage musical news? I did see this. What were your thoughts? I did. Uh, so this is the news that Paddington is going to be turned into a stage musical, as you might expect from what James said. But the songs are going to be provided by Tom Fletcher uh, from McFly. And uh, he's a very, very talented dude, is Tom Fletcher. Big fan of Empire Magazine. I don't know whether he listens to the podcast, but if he does, Tom, hello. Can mm-hmm. I get tickets, please? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that that means I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be okay. Don't you? Yes, I am. I am. I am cautiously optimistic. You know what? I'm going to a stage production tonight oh, at the theatre. Look at you taking in the culture. The Stranger Fantasy. Things prequel play. Oh, yes, I've heard about this. Yeah, it's yeah. opening tonight, and I shall be there to witness the upside down. Not your upside down, obviously, which is <laughs> Australia, but the actual upside down in all of its glory. Very good. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Uh, you expecting good things from that? Or Stranger Things, even? I'm expecting it will turn things up to eleven. That's a reference to Stranger Things, isn't it? it yes, is, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm... of a character in that show. Yes. yes. See, I'm hip. I'm, I know. <laughs> you I are. Know, I know what's You're going over, on. all over this shit. Uh, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. I'm just going to read the Wikipedia summary when the final season drops, aren't you? I, just, I can't believe uh, that you do that. Just, yeah. I, uh, the amount of it amazing time, art man. that it you're missing time. out on, that you are robbing yourself of. I just art. I, what what art am I missing out on with Stranger Things? Stranger Things is great. Um, I, mean, well, I, I I had a great time with the final season. Although I do think I, what did you think of them not killing anybody significant in in the last season? Well, as I was as you furious. know, I thought for sure Toby was going to get it uh, <laughs> in, in the final episode after mm. after Alphonse died in season four oh when they when they went to the back to front. I was. <laughs> I was convinced that some people were going to be up for grabs. Uh, mm-hmm. Toby, and of course, crucially, 13. But, yes, um, yes. The, uh, yes. Uh, 13, 14, and 15, they were all tragic losses. I think we can all agree. Uh, I'm yeah. on record as saying that body counts are a good thing in films, uh, mm-hmm. as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, I like. I was about to say you shouldn't kill any of the kids. I think the word kids is doing a lot of heavy lifting at this point, since yeah. they're all in their mid to late 40s. But... Uh, <laughs> Do you know what I, I want to see? I want to see our faves carry through to the very end. I'm not sure many of them. Well, I say many of them. I don't think all of them will make it over the finish line. Will I'm sorry, you're fucked. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I I was really bracing myself for that uh, in the last season, in part because of what they were saying in the build up to it. And then when it then happened, I was like, come on, it's starting to get. A little bit unrealistic that these yeah, kids. Yeah, that's the reason why it's unrealistic. I know, that's I know, the reason. I know, I know. But these kids have gone to hell and back three, four times without yeah. a scratch on them. And you're like, come on, I need there to be some emotional stakes. And if they play it right, 
if and when a character, a significant character goes, they should uh, they they can maximize that for good storytelling and give you the full emotional reaction to that. That makes the story as a whole better. And I hope that given that this is the final, final season, they take some major players off the board. It would make the story as a whole better, I think. Maybe Batman will kill one of them. <laughs> Batman does not do that kind of thing if he's written correctly. Um, Amon, have you seen Merry Little Batman yet? I have not. I have not. Who? Who? Which he one kills is? the shit out of a bunch of people. <laughs> it's extraordinary. <laughs> Elves mostly, but you know. I should have gone. Yeah, he starts off by snapping Alfred's neck like a twig. <laughs> he goes, "Here's your P forty five, old man." And shockingly, this is making yeah. me not want to watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, nah, I, I do. I'm excited to check that one out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Shockingly, this is not making me want to watch it. I, I didn't. I didn't love it. I didn't mm. love it. I, I watched it for an episode of Helen's podcast. Um, okay, bat humbug, bat humbug. I guess in this case, yeah. which yeah. is a gag it did not make during the show, and now we need to be rebooted. Uh, <laughs> you must be kicking yourself. I, I am absolutely fucking kicking myself. Uh, I, but it, it's fine. I don't think you'll like the fact that Luke Wilson is voicing Batman because he is as far removed from Kevin Conroy deliberately, yeah. obviously, yeah. but as far removed from Kevin Conroy as you could possibly get, which is weird because the guy they have doing the joke. Joker, spoiler alert, the Joker's in it, is basically doing Mark Hamill. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, there you go. Well, it, it's it. interesting because I think that it, it kind of raises this issue of, or this, this, this debate, if you will, about how different you can make the Joker, right? Mm. Like when you think of the Joker, you know, I, you know, I think of Mark Hamill, but I think also of, of, you know, some of the great big screen ones we've had. Mm-hmm. The greatest, of course, being Jared Leto. <laughs> Do, sorry, not even I can keep a straight face now. <laughs> but, you know, like, they're all largely cut from the same cloth, mm-hmm. right? Like Barry Keoghan, the brief glimpse we got of him in The Batman, it, he wasn't doing something a million miles away from what Heath Ledger was doing, or right. you know, even Joaquin Phoenix. It's not we're not a million miles away from. They all have that kind of same maniacal, maniacal laugh. They, they mm-hmm. all still have that kind of same. They all they're all cut from the same kind of brightly colored purple cloth. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you can do a Joker that is completely different because Luke Wilson in this is like. The the most different version of Batman I've I've ever seen. I haven't heard Coleman Domingo's version yet. I'm excited to, yeah, yeah. But it it yeah it it strikes me that there seems to be more room for maneuver with Batman and Bruce Wayne and what you can do, what you can get away with with the voice, mm-hmm. than there is with what you can get with get away with with the Joker. And I wonder if there is an actor out there who can genuinely give us a fresh take. I'm up for something different. You know, obviously. Kevin Conroy will always be my Batman. That will never change. But <laughs> I'm up for something different. As long as the character still feels recognizably Batman, that's something which I'm interested in seeing. It's when I see Batman or Joker do something that just doesn't feel like how the character was originally written. That goes against the central tenets of who the character is. That is when I'm like, huh. I don't know about that. Um, so yeah, um, I'm intrigued to to check it out. 
Uh, I still need to also, and this is really bad on my part because people keep telling me that it's amazing, but this Harley yeah. Quinn animated series, uh, I'm going to try oh, and catch yeah. up with it over the, over the Christmas break because people keep so saying it's incredible. I've seen that, not all of it, but mm. I've seen that, and you haven't? I know. What's going on? I know. I know. I was very wedded to the Batman, the animated series, Harley, and how that show went about pretty much everything. Um, obviously, that's, that's, when, that's where the character originated. Um, mm. And I tried to get into the Harley Quinn show a couple of times, and for some reason, it just hasn't quite clicked with me. But I really want to... Uh, stay the course uh this next time when i click play on it um because people keep telling me that it's great that the bane that they do is fantastic that what they do with batman and bruce wayne is great so even though it's not kevin conroy i want to check it out all right uh jimbo do you have any any movie news anything do you, you know talk what about? it's been quite a quiet week i seem to recall there has uh, there been was, is that because you had basically you were in, in some sort of coma after watching yeah, that was it june was all <laughs> i could take trailer. Uh, i couldn't even find it in my heart to watch the kung fu panda 4 trailer <laughs> i have what did you think i liked it I, you know, I'm on the record as being... po-faced while watching it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I am on record as being a massive fan of the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. I think it's fantastic. Um, really love the voice work, really love the action. Um, obviously, it's got a score by Hans Zimmer, which never hurts. Um, and this one is bringing back Tai Lung, who was the villain of the original movie and who is awesome. And he's bringing them back in a very different way the, the 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 big villain of this is voiced by Viola Davis I believe and this sort of, she's sort of a chameleon who's after all the powers of the greatest kung fu masters in order to take down Poe um, and there's a visual that ends the trailer which kind of took me aback for a second because it's a bit of Tai Lung it's a bit of a couple of the other sort of major martial artists that have been in the franchise and she's sort of mixed all of that into one sort of person which also looks a bit like Poe um, and so the final sort of line of the trailer is like I have to kick my own ass is what Poe says um, and that, that fight seems to be amazing but yeah for a second it's like this looks very weird and creepy just for a second um, but I, I love this franchise I hope that the fourth one which I didn't see coming um, is matters up to the first three because I think the first three they're kind of underrated it's a really great trilogy and speaking of trailers, did anyone see the trailer for Alex Garland's new film? No, Civil I did not. War. No, but I did which hear looks that tremendous. It yeah, it did drop, um, and it is a uh, very, very, very close to the bone uh, thriller by A twenty four, and this thing looks epic. So you can see why they <laughs> they were basically looking for investment recently uh, to make movies that, that are outside their usual budgetary sphere. This certainly seems to be one of them, and it's a big old action thriller, but with a real um, political head on its shoulders, and it is about. Um, secession in the US, in the US and uh, a civil war has broken out and Nick Offerman is now the president of what looks like a two-state system and uh, uh, and the White House has been occupied and a group of intrepid journalists led by Wagner Moura and Kirsten Dunst and Stephen McKinley Henderson make their way towards the White House even though they know that journalists in this new regime will be shot on sight. Even film journalists? Even podcasters? That seems like a bit of a bum. <laughs> Especially podcasters. Uh, especially <laughs> podcasters. And rightly so, quite frankly. Uh, 
this looks tremendous. Jesse Plemons uh, is in it. So once again, working with his wife, Kirsten Dunst, and um, playing what looks like a deeply creepy and unsettling guy. So, <laughs> so yeah. a real stretch there for Jesse Plemons, <laughs> who, by the way, in real life is a lovely, lovely dude. Uh, but I'm just saying he is attracted to playing characters like this for the most part. This is very true. Probably the most creepiest moment of the trailer. Um, I think a journalist is sort of pleading with his life. He's like, I'm, I'm an American. And Jesse Plummer's character is like, what kind of American are you? And mm-hmm. it just sort of lingers there for a good three or four seconds. And that feels very current of the moment of what we're seeing yes. uh, right now. Um, so if he can marry the action spectacle that the trailer gives us glimpses of with that mm-hmm. political side of things, I think we're on to a winner here. And Alex Garland... Because filmography, Ex Machina, Alienation is a filmmaker who is always worth taking notice of. So, fingers crossed. Yes, indeed. And that's going to be out in the summer. I think it's going to be out around May. Uh, and not, as you might imagine, Jan 6th. But it looks <laughs> absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. I'm here for pretty much anything Alex Garland does. All right. So, I think that's pretty much it for the movie news, except for one very, very sad piece of news that broke uh, yesterday, the sad death of the magnificent Andre Brower, uh, star of Homicide Life in the Street, and of course, most recently, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just 61 years old uh, after mm-hmm. a brief illness. And it was one of those deaths that just united Twitter in praise of this guy and his incredible uh, acting talents, you know, obviously comedy something he added to his his bow fairly late in his career with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but he was Captain Holt. I saw an amazing tweet, which I think really sums up Brower's contribution to that show, which was something along the lines of, on a show where every character was the best character, Holt was the best character. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree with that. He was my favourite part of that series, bar none. Yeah, when this news broke, it did hit me hard, because I'm a massive massive fan of that show in particular. Andre Brower, he had a very sort of Shakespearean uh, background, which I think lent itself to that character and that show in a big way. Because yes, there's a heavy comedic aspect to it. And I love those moments when Holt does get a chance to be properly goofy. And he absolutely nails that. But this is a comedy sitcom that has many serious moments. When it came time to bring the gravitas to a certain scene. Nobody could do that better and flip that switch better than Andre Brower for me. And there's a number of scenes that come to mind for, for that where he just absolutely nails that and connects with audiences um, in that way, um, which I just think is great. There's so many... <laughs> I watched a, like a, you know, a compilation of Captain Holt's best moments in the wake of his passing, and there's just so many which just had me Same. bursting out laughing. There's one in which uh, he's commending Terry on a job well done. Just, just, just like this like menial task, like, I've never been more proud of you in my entire life. Terry's like, you know, I've, I've solved a lot of cases without missing a beat, and yet crime has continued. Yes. <laughs> just, his comedic timing was so, so good. Another one of my absolute favorites uh, occurred quite in, in the quite late season, um, uh, which is when Jake Peralta uh, is like, what we have here is a classic whodunit. And <laughs> the whole goes, the phrase whodunit is a grammatical abomination. Please use the proper term, a who has done this. <laughs> That's a great one. His battles with Wunch. You know, the, 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 the first time Wunch comes on screen, Madeline, lovely to see you. 
But if you're here, if you're here who's guarding who's Hades? Guarding Hades? <laughs> There's just so many we can rattle off. The amount of joy, the amount of yeah. laughter, which I can attribute to that character alone. The number does not exist. And even though he is no longer here with us, it, it is comforting. Even though he is no longer here with us, it's comforting that we have yeah. that to go back to. And beyond Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you think about his filmography, you think about his body of work across theater, TV, film. In Glory, he stands toe-to-toe with Morgan Freeman and a young Denzel Washington, and he more than holds his own. You think about a film like City of Angels, a really underrated film in which he uh, is sort of in a two-hander with Nicolas Cage is playing an angel trying to understand what it means to be human. That's great. I even remember last year watching She Said. I didn't know that he was going to be in that film. When he pops up on screen, it's like, oh, Andre Brewer. We're immediately in safe hands. He's going to elevate the film because that is who he is. That is the kind of actor he is. That's the kind of vibe he brings. And he absolutely did with that film and across much of his other work. So he's going to be sorely missed. Andre Brauer, who passed away this week at the age of 61. Too goddamn soon. All right, time for more guests now. Um, or guest, shall we say, because this is Zachary Levi, who is the star of the new Ardman film, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, in which he voices Rocky, who was the character voiced by Mel Gibson in the previous 2000 movie. Uh, and we talked about how Zachary Levi stepped into Mel Gibson's shoes and we talked about his approach to animation and voiceovers uh, as well. And we talked a little bit towards the end about the reception afforded to Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which uh, did not do that well at the box office this year, despite being a really fun film. Uh, we talked about that. Had a lot of fun with this one. Do please enjoy. Hey, Zachary, how's it going, sir? Chris, I'm going well. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Where in the world are you at the moment? Los Angeles. Los Angeles, California. Fantastic. The, the city of broken dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but not mine. My not dreams yours. are happy, No, no. Uh, long, long way away from Bristol, England, which is where Arpen's based, of, of course. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and a place that I was trying to get to last time I was, I was in town, but I unfortunately wasn't able to get to. But I, I, I'm hoping to go and uh, visit them all. So you've never had the pleasure of the Arpen tour? Uh, no, I've not had the Ardman tour. Wow, uh, nor have I. I know. But, you know I hear good things. I know. I've, I'm furious on your behalf, quite frankly. But uh, you know, I, I presume it's because of COVID and, and all that. That you know, and you you recorded your lines remotely. I'm guessing. One hundred percent. I mean, listen, that's the the incredible magic and beauty of technology these days. Like you can, I was able to make this movie. By the way, and not even just from one location. There were probably three different places over the course of recording that I, you know, in different cities, I was able to go and do pickups or whatever it was. Um, and what a fantastic process it was. Sam, our director, was so good. And the whole creative team and, um, you know, Tandue and uh, uh, and Bella, like I didn't get to record with either of anyone, but that's voiceover. You know, yeah. it's like this really cool, magical way of of putting together all the pieces of of a movie and Ardman is, you know, obviously, you know, legendary in, in uh, their their catalog of all the incredible movies that they've done and series, you know, all the way back to Wallace and Gromit and all that. So the whole thing was a treat. I'm fascinated uh, by the arts of voicing animated movies and, and how that works. So you're doing, 
you're doing three different locations. You're shooting something. I, I say, for example, you're shooting Shazam two, and then you get a an email overnight going. By the way, we need you to do these five lines for for Chicken Run two. That's how it works, essentially. I'm guessing. Can you can you yeah. record it into your phone or your your microphone that you've brought with you or or. No, 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 no. Uh, normally, they just coordinate with uh, like an actual recording studio in okay. whatever city. So, so like, pop into I, a studio. Actually, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, you're not so off. I think during Shazam 2, we were shooting in Atlanta, and I'm pretty sure that I had a, a, a quite a few recording. In fact, some of the initial recording sessions were were there while I was in Atlanta. So I would go like on the weekend or, you know, whenever I had a day off. So I'm, you know, doing Shazam during the day and then <laughs> go running off and being Rocky. It's really fun, though. How do you do that? How do you compartmentalize? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not somebody who really takes work home with me, you know, like also I'm neither of these roles are some deep brooding dramatic. Like, I feel like I got to stay in it. Uh, you know, I don't know. They, they were both roles that are uh, really fun, have a lot of heart, and I, I can, you know, be able to kind of turn it on and turn it off as much as I need to. Okay, okay. It's not like a Daniel Day-Lewis thing where you're going, I must no. now become a chicken. No, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, call me President Lincoln. Don't, <laughs> no, don't address me as Daniel Day-Lewis. Call me President Lincoln. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, Abe. Um, <laughs> but, but also, then you get those insanely good performances that he's given us for all of these years. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I hope that I can ever have a role and do it justice in that way at some point in my career. That that would be yeah, that would be the thing, wouldn't it? But but if you had done it for Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget, it would have meant dressing up as a chicken. I know. Is that I'm just slacking. That's what it is. <laughs> if I really cared, if I really cared, I would have dedicated to this role. I would have dressed as a chicken. I would have acted like it, you know, just been yeah, just just cock of the walk, really. You know what I mean? Just strutting around like a rooster, but then realizing I'm a dad now that, yeah. that I would have had to have a child in order for, to really, for this to be, that's <laughs> it. I would have had to figure out having a child. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. So you get the phone call and you go, all right, okay, guys, yes, I want to do your movie, but I'm going to need a year. I'm going to need a year yeah. to prepare. I'm going to need go... at least a year. Yeah. You, you've had experience in your, in your career, of course, of stepping into another actor's shoes or throat in this case, which is really yeah. weird. But yeah, yeah what, what was it? What was it like for you to to do that? Uh, super cool, man! I was a huge fan of the first film, legitimately, uh, and uh, so I was stoked that they were making a second one. Let alone the fact that they saw fit to ask me to, you know, kind of reprise this role. And I don't know, the whole thing has just been delightful, you know, genuinely. Um, big fan of the company, big fan of the of the franchise, um, and that I get to be the, you know. The American, uh, the, the lone, the lone American foul in in all of this incredible world um, was just a uh, just a treat, man. And it was just a you know it was an offer. It's like my team says, hey, they want you to do this thing. I was like, say less, I'm in. Chicken Run Two, I'm in. <laughs> so when you say say less, what you mean is just stop talking, but you don't mean say less. Like, Listen, I'll do it for less money. That's not what you're saying. No, 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 no. Definitely not. No, I wanted them to pay me everything they could. No, I don't know. It was so fun. It was great. <laughs> Tell Arpen I'll do it for fifty percent of what they're offering right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give them the, the Zachary Levi discount <laughs> right now. Yeah, I'm that generous. <laughs> it's like when you sign up to franchise movies. 
I, that's how I presume it worked. Uh, you know, you 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 know, you do a a whole bunch, and you get less and less as you go on because you're being that generous. That would that would that would be a horrible uh, mistake on my part if, <laughs> if I ever did. make sure that you slap me across the face if I'm ever being that generous. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think this is why they put us on virtual, so I can't actually slap you across the face. <laughs> Which I've never done, by the way. I've never actually slapped an interviewee, so that would be a first. Oh, well, let's next time I'm out there, we'll make it happen. Zachary, but I've I've met you. You came to London a few, a few years ago for Shazam. You're you're a unit. You're fucking massive. I could not possibly slap you because you would you would kick my ass. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Not if we agreed on it. If I said slap me across the face, I'm not going to just punch you back. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. All right. So we're, we're, this is on the record now. Next time, yeah, the next time I it's see you, if you are doing something yeah. physically irresponsible, I can slap you in the face. There you go. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. Just want to get the parameters established before, yeah. <laughs> before I yeah, commit yeah. assault. <laughs> so so um, can you talk me through then, you know, just sliding into Rocky's shoes for this one. As you say, you know, he's become a father now. He's a little bit more responsible-ish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, trying to be, certainly. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of one of the cool things is that he's been, Rocky's been given this really cool character arc and in that, you know, in the first film, he's this lone ranger of a guy and then he meets the love of his life out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, wow. Now, now he's like starting to become... Not the bachelor anymore, but this now coupled up like, oh, there's there's more to life. And now it's the next level. Now it's you've you found the love of your life and now you're creating this this love of both of your lives. And so Rocky is really transitioning as as a as a chicken um, and, uh, <laughs> as a character. Um, and it's really cool. You know, you get to see the sensitivity and the vulnerability and and uh, and also just, you know, the, you know, the the lengths to which he will go in order to save his daughter's life. I think there's something really cool about that. So have you still never met your co-stars? No. I Tandaway and I have met like on a very briefly on a red carpet once or something. Like, I don't know that we've ever really had a, a full conversation. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever met Bella. Um, and no, I haven't met the rest of the cast. No, That's it was so... all, I know it's very strange. Voiceover is very strange like that, but it's all good, you know. Sam got everybody all everyone put all their collective talents in and it all cuts together beautifully. So Absolutely. But at the same time, acting, you know, yes, you can, and voiceover has worked brilliantly for for years and years and years doing it this way. But acting is sometimes about reacting as well. And it's about, you know, picking up on the cues of your of your co-stars and your scene partners and Yeah. And it's fascinating when someone's not there. I presume Sam or someone else is playing is giving you lines to bounce off in situations like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, so, so, sometimes they do. It just kind of depends. Um, you know, honestly, and I don't know. I don't know what everybody else does. But for me, it's a really fun exercise in imagination. Mm. It, and I'm, I'm playing their words in my head, even if I don't know exactly how they say it. Even if, you know what I mean? Like maybe I'm recording before anybody else is recording their tracks. If other people have recorded their tracks, they might play that back for you at least once or Sam or somebody might read along um, uh, those various characters, but that's still not, they can't emulate Tendue or Bella or anybody, you know, perfectly. So really it's, a, and, and don't, nor can I, even with my inner kind of voice, but 
it's you do it. You you kind of intuit. Well, how are they going to say this? And also, um, you know, your lines, your dialogue all has intention to it. You know, kind of what you're supposed to be saying and why you're supposed to be saying it. Hmm. Uh, and if you don't, Sam will point out, you know, hey, this is what this is where what the intention behind the line is. Um, and also guide the energy of it. Hey, bring it up, bring it down, you know, okay. yeah. based on what other people have recorded or what the scene is. So I don't know. Like, I think it's kind of fun. It, yes, it's different. Yes, you don't get that thing to react to, per se. But I'm reacting to my what my imagination tells me their reading of that line would be. And then I just bring what I bring and, you know, and then trust Sam along the way. I'm also intrigued by ADR. This isn't ADR, so to speak, but the process, I'm guessing, isn't too dissimilar in that you, you do a recording, then a, a few months or maybe even a year because this is stop motion and it can take a while, elapses, and then you're called back in to play the same role again. And I'm always fascinated to, uh, as to how you can pick up a performance that you did a year ago. And is that a difficult thing for you? Or, or are you very much able to just plug back in right away? You know, uh, it can be interesting sometimes for sure. It's not normally a year. I think the, I mean, sometimes it can be, I suppose. You know, in television, you're normally doing ADR for an episode a month later, two months later, something sometimes. Um, with a film, could be six months later. Uh, so, you know, still a, a considerable amount of time and you might be in the middle of some other job and you're coming back and you're doing it, but it's never been too, I don't know. It's again, it's, it's just something that I, you just use your creativity and you step back into it. And I've always had a pretty good recall with that. You know, even like when I'm doing ADR, I even remember sometimes it could be six months later and I've done so many other said so many other lines, but I remember on the day it puts me back in there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. The kind of cadence of the scene went like this. The tone of it was like this. I even had that alt line. I said it that way or this or whatever it is. Some of that stuff just kind of floods back to you. Um, and then immediately, then it's gone again. And then, you know, you're back into moving on with your life. So you've never had a situation where you go, I don't remember this at all. Not, I mean, I'm sure there's been a few moments along the way where yeah. I'm doing some ADR. And I'm like, was... I am alive during this. I don't even. I don't remember even being awake. When was this shot? I don't remember this. Uh, I'm sure there's been a moment like that. Um, but by and large, no. I'm by and large. I'm always pretty, pretty, you know, um, aware of or remembering what those moments are. Fantastic. Well, I've got to let you go in a few seconds, but um, I, I just want to talk about Shazam too as well, Fury of the Gods, uh, because I, I know when that movie came out and didn't do as well as had been hoped at the box office. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that was something that 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 affected you. Um, you know, I I I I think it's fair to say that you you know you didn't sure. take that particularly well, and and quite rightly so as well. Um, now that the time has elapsed, and we seem to be in this. I think Guardians 3 aside, we seem to be in this slight downslope in terms of you know audience interaction with superhero movies at the moment, as things stand. Has that allowed you to have greater perspective on, on what happened? Or are you more philosophical about it now? Well, I mean, to be honest, like even when it was happening, I was I was still pretty philosophical about it then. I mean, I I was disappointed more in just some of the narratives that were being spun about it. It like, listen, so a movie does well, a movie doesn't do well, you know, like these things, 
sometimes you have no idea why. Sometimes, I mean, some of some of my favorite movies did not do well in the box office and then later on become, you know, hugely lo- beloved. I mean, The Big Lebowski is an example of that. Yeah. Like it did not, so I don't know, understand how. To me, that movie is nearly perfect. It's so good. But somehow in the theater, between marketing or timing or whatever, it just, it missed that, it missed that window. And I firmly still believe that about Shazam Fury of the Gods. I really think we made an even better version of the first movie. And the first one was fantastic. I really think we made a great first movie. Uh, But for whatever reasons, you know, uh, and there are myriad, I have no doubt. um, You know, I don't think that we accomplished all that we could have, let's say. But it, it, it wasn't so much even that. It was the the kind of toxicity online that was that gets stirred now you know take all that stuff out it's like okay it's i i know that my career and my life they're not made or broken based on that but the the there were like actual lies there were actual like untruths that were being spun by people who sit at home and have nothing better to do than try to tear down other people you know and that and that stuff that's where my like justice warrior in me like that wants to defend my cast and my crew and the movie and the quality of the movie and all of those things and also there was all these other narratives that you know things that were going on that people were unaware of and i don't know to be honest i shouldn't i i I know better as a grown man that's still kind of a child inside that (laughs) i shouldn't i shouldn't care about any of that stuff because social media and internet trolls and all that i mean you know it's it is what it is but I, I care. I cared about people that I worked with and that I care about being slagged on. And the the, the thing that we made together that that like it was being treated unfairly that I, I didn't I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't care for that. All I can do is keep moving forward and keep trying to make the best films that I can and bringing the best of me to it. And that's why I'm stoked about Chicken Run 2, <laughs> Dawn of the Nugget. Because I think it's fantastic. Bringing it back masterfully. That's why they pay you the big bucks. No discount uh, <laughs> applied this time. Uh, Zachary, I look forward to seeing you next time, although I will not slap you in the face. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Be well, brother. Happy holidays. Okay, that was Zachary Levi, and Chicken Run, Donald the Nugget is going to be on Netflix as of today, I believe, and is also in selected cinemas around the country. And we reviewed it last week, and we gave it four of your Bristol stars. All right, let's move on to this week's reviews, and let's start with a big old Netflix movie, shall we? And this is Rebel Moon, Part 1, A Child of Fire, Zack Snyder's return to the big, but in this case, small screen, but it is available in some selected cinemas as well this week before heading to Netflix next week. And this is essentially Zack Snyder's stab at doing a Star War. And this is the movie that he pitched to Kathy Kennedy as a Star War a number of years ago, and it didn't quite get off the ground. And then he took it, repackaged it, repurposed it, and snidered it up a little bit. And it's also a spin on Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven as well. Isn't it Jimbo? It is, yes. Uh, this one stars Sophia Butella as Cora, and she's living on this kind of planet uh, where she's in a farming community, uh, living a very simple, arable, sort of agrarian life, uh, until the Empire comes. No, not that one, but rather Ed <laughs> Scrine and his Imperials. Uh, and they come, <laughs> they beat up Corey Stoll, they're very, very unpleasant, uh, and they demand all of their food and are quite abusive. Then 
in a, with an incredibly lazy narrative device which involves sexual violence. Uh, she loses her shit and we find out that she is in fact a very uh, handy, should we say, ex-soldier and she sets out to gather some allies to defend her village from these imperial twats. Uh, she gets out, uh, she teams up with uh, Michael Hussman who plays Gunner. Uh, she plays teams up with Charlie Hunnam. She gathers a whole bunch of other people uh, including Jaiman Honsu uh, and as you said, it's basically Seven Samurai in space, or Battle Beyond the Stars, if you will. Um, so, on the one hand, you've got a plot here that's relatively straightforward, relatively simple, and yet you've got a running time, which I seem to record is about two hours and 20 minutes, so mm-hmm. it is long. And I suppose what kind of confuses me with this is a, is a number of things. It's like, I don't understand how a film with such a simple setup manages to be very long and very incoherent. And the storytelling is very, very muddled. And I can only assume the length is partly due to the sheer volume of frame cranking that happens in this film, since about 50% of it is just in slow motion for no apparent reason. Uh, Perhaps that's why it's long. Um, I went into this film properly excited. Obviously, I love a Star Wars. I love all science fiction. And also, my tolerance for shit science fiction is really, really high. So I went in this like totally psyched. And I have to say, I was really disappointed by it. Um, It has a lot of ideas in it. Many of them don't work. Some of them do work. Uh, It has some great visuals in it. It also has some really bad visuals in it. Uh, There is some, shall we say, backdrop work, which was woeful. Um, And really, I just felt very unsatisfied. I know this is the beginning of a story. It is not an entire story. That is kind of a self-contained narrative to an extent. Um, But by the end of it, I felt unsatisfied. I felt frustrated. I thought Ed Skrein was horribly miscast. I thought, you know, Sophia Batella was fine. Uh, Charlie Hunnam, who I love, big Sons of Anarchy fan, I was not... Let's just say he didn't have an awful lot to do or a lot to work with. Um... And, you know, I really struggled when I came out of this to find positive things to say about it. You have Sir Anthony Hopkins in it. Is he in it? It's hard to say. He's got maybe four lines. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This just, it to me, honestly, this felt like a mess. It felt like a mess of ideas that were half-formed. It felt like the worst kind of style over substance. And look, I'm a big defender of Zack Snyder when he's great. Dawn of the Dead is great. 300 is great. Watchmen is great. When he does stuff like Sucker Punch, which is all ideas and visual flair with no substance that's when I think he falls down as a filmmaker and this feels like it's in that ballpark but without the kind of visual flair the Sucker Punch actually had so yeah it's it's hard to recommend this one if I'm honest with you and 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 this is the best part I'm the one of the two of us who's actually quite up on this isn't that right Amon? <laughs> that is correct Ugh. And like you, I went into this one, I was genuinely excited because while it's been well documented that I don't think uh, Zack Snyder's DC work uh, was very, very good, a big reason why is because I don't think he fully got a number of those characters. Here, I was like, oh, this is Zack Snyder and it's his own sandbox. He gets to create his own mythology. He gets to create that own world. You do you. Let's see what you come up with. And... I was genuinely excited for that, but unfortunately, it seems like I spoke too soon. A number of the things you already touched on, the overuse of slow-mo, which I got bored of about 20 minutes in. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's a lot more in the ensuing two hours that comes after that. But the way I used to describe this one, it's it's all plot, no feeling. 
what reasons are you giving me to actually care and root for these characters, these supposedly heroic characters who are banding together in order to do what they do? They're not, they don't really give you that. There's a lot of exposition drops, which gives us, gives us a lot of plot, but doesn't get me to fully understand who is this character, what are they about. Some people get exposition drops, some people get one sequence, and that's it. Jaimon Honsu, this is yet another film in which Jaimon Honsu is underused. There's so, so many, and it's so, so frustrating because he's so, so good, and he's not properly utilized. Here he plays... He's as fuck, though, in this. Oh, so. he really is. But here he plays... And this, this, this is one of the more ridiculous sequences in the movie. He plays a general who is sort of like... He's been out of action for basically 40 years because of reasons. He hasn't sort of, you know... He hasn't thought about... He hasn't had a care in the world. All of a sudden, Sophia Batella's character comes in with a 60-second pep talk about the notion of revenge. All of a sudden, he's up, he's fresh and clean, and he's up. He's never thought about revenge in the last 40 years. That's never come into his mind. It's so shallow. Um, And then on the technical side, I, in general, I'm a big fan of Junkie XL, uh, a.k.a. Tom Holkenborg, who is the composer and and has collaborated with Zack Snyder before. His score for Mad Max Fury Road in particular is fantastic. There's a track called Brothers in Arms, which is bloody brilliant, and I'm very excited that he's coming back for Furiosa next year. There are moments of beauty with his score, but ultimately I just felt like I was being pounded into into submission because it's so relentless. I've never been so unmoved by a thing which clearly believes it's the most epic thing to ever exist because slow motion rules. I'm just like, (laughs) God, please stop. Please stop. So yeah, it's, I think, it's lucky that this film already has a part two slated and I'm not sure if they filmed it or whatnot, but this film has not done enough to justify a sequel. Um, And where I was going into this with excitement, I'm going into the sequel with dread. And I had a sense from this that this is a much longer film that has been crammed into two hours and 20 minutes Mm. because there are whole sections where they recruit a new person. It's like, first of all, who is this person? Mm. How did you find out about them? Why are you here? How did you get here? Because Mm. none of this stuff is explained. You've just turned up Mm -hmm. and there's like an inexplicable griffin riding sequence which serves Mm. no purpose. There is a character in this, I shit you not, who for reasons (laughs) just doesn't wear shirts. And I can only assume it's because he's buff as fuck, but he seems (laughs) allergic to clothing and just walks around topless all the time for no reason. I mean, to be fair, if I look like him, I might do likewise. But this, I mean, this film is all over the shop. And I just wonder whether it's just that, oh, we need to distinguish between our seven maiden characters here. He will be the guy without a shirt. I just, There, There are multiple scenes with notable supporting actors where they are just in the background, standing there, saying and doing nothing. Like, why even turn up for work? Um, yeah, it's a really real disappointment, yes. this one. It is, it is not one of Snyder's better films. That is, uh, it is a real shame. I'm very, very, very sad to hear this. I haven't seen the film yet, mm. and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Despite you, you kill joys, you <laughs> chip pissers. Never mind uh, tip nippers or cock biters, you're <laughs> chip pissers today. Uh, you know, as, as people may or may not know, I was on set of this movie. I wrote the Empire feature. I've been following it very, very closely. And, you know, and Zack Snyder showed me some stuff in the edit suite that looked good. Mm. I'm hopeful that the both of you and, in fairness, the other people who I've heard uh, <laughs> say 
fairly negative things about this movie since uh, the screening. I hope you're all wrong and you're all just being Grinches and you're miserable. I will check it out over Christmas. And yes, part two um, is coming in April on Netflix. So More a threat than a promise. Back back. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, anyway, two stars then for Rebel Moon. Shall we move on to a film that uh, I've heard, I haven't seen, sadly, but I've heard amazing, amazing things about. It's Godzilla Minus One. And the minus one here, I'm on being presumably Kong, who isn't in this film, it's <laughs> Minus One. Yes, no Kong in this film. But you know what? That's okay, because this film is awesome without him. It's directed by Takashi Yamazaki, and it follows Koichi Shikishima, um, played by Ryanosuke Kamiki. Apologize if I'm butchering these names. I am doing my best. Um, he is a World War II uh, pilot, and he chose self-preservation over his duty early on in the film when uh, Godzilla attacks. And because he does so, um, it leads to the death of his compatriots. So he's racked up with guilt and shame about that. We will turn to that in just a second. Uh, but this is like a year later after that incident, he's built a new family with Noriko, played by Manami Hamabi. And they have an orphan baby called Akiko. Uh, and all of that trauma from that encounter with Godzilla comes back to the fore when Godzilla rampages through the city that he's in. And yeah, so I guess it's not obvious this is a Japanese Godzilla movie. Yes. Uh, and this is following hot on the heels of Shin Godzilla from a, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, you know, I'm not a huge Godzilla fan. Mm. I'm a regular sized Godzilla fan, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's it, This is a series and a franchise on both sides of whatever pond defines Japan and America, the Pacific, I believe, um, that has tended to pass me by a little bit mm -hmm. uh, over the years. But I've heard such amazing things about this, Amon. Does it, does it live up to the hype? It does live up to the hype. I'm just, the only thing that annoys me about it is that I saw it on my computer screen and not the big screen um, because this, this is worthy of you know, seeing it on the big screen. Um, I think the one of the yeah. big differences between this movie and some of the Americanized Godzilla content that we've gotten in recent times, they have almost fashioned, not almost, they have fashioned Godzilla as like the hero who's going up against and fighting against or with other monsters uh, in order to sort of, you know, protect uh, humanity um, to a degree. Um, and here he is not that he is just very much an elemental scary terrifying force and that leads to a number of really great spectacular uh sequences uh which again i'm annoyed that i didn't see on the big screen if you can see this on the big screen it was worth it just for that when he uses his atomic breath it is an awesome awesome sight um so Hello. on the spectacle it absolutely delivers having Godzilla be the sort of scary elemental force that he is also leads to them engaging with the human characters 
in a way that is really, really compelling. And Godzilla as a whole is having a moment right now. Uh, Monarch Legacy of uh, Monsters is on Apple TV Plus and I really, really enjoyed it. And that also, <laughs> James clearly did not enjoy it. Maybe you can listen to more about that on the Pilot TV podcast. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, on, th- th- that that show does what it does with the human characters, which again I did enjoy over ten hours. This film does it in two hours, and it's very very compelling because, as I mentioned, that uh, character Koichi Shikishima, there's a lot of guilt and shame that he's wrapped up with because of how he failed to act uh, on that day. Godzilla came and killed his compatriots, and you do get into that story. You do feel for him. You do sort of, you know, he's all about sort of, can he overcome that trauma and become a better version of himself to save Tokyo before Godzilla destroys that? That's sort of his storyline, his arc. And that feels very, very compelling as well. So it delivers on the spectacle front. It delivers on the humanity front. It's really, really, really great. Um, And again, don't do like I did. Watch it on the big screen because those sequences, Godzilla is only in this movie, this two-hour movie for 12 minutes of screen time. That's all he's in. But the way in which they maximize that screen time is perfect. Um, It's not how long he's on screen for, it's how they use him, and they use him very well. Um, So yeah, this is really great. Four stars then for Godzilla minus one. Jimbo? Um, Yes. You have seen The Family Plan. I have seen The Family Plan. That is absolutely true. This is Apple's new, well, family action comedy type thing, uh, which stars Mark Wahlberg as Dan, and he's a man who sells used cars. Sorry, Dan! Uh, He sells quality used cars to people, except it turns out that he has a past as a secret government assassin. What? Yeah, absolutely. His past catches up with him because a picture of him is seen on social media. So basically, it's the long kiss goodnight. Uh, and uh, and they, they come for him, essentially. Uh, he doesn't have amnesia, but the wrinkle here is he tries to fend off this team of assassins who come for him while not letting his family in on what's happening. Mm. So you have moments like when he's driving in the car with them, assassins come for them, but they've all got headphones on. So he turns the music up mm. in the car. So they're listening to music. And they're all sleeping while fending off the killers. Mm. Um it veers much more towards the schmaltzy family side of these kind of films rather than the sort of edgier side like Long Kiss Goodnight does. Um, it's not great, but it's not terrible. It's not hateful. Uh the action sequences are fun rather than impressive. Mm. Wahlberg's always entertaining. Michelle Monaghan is also always entertaining. She plays his wife in this. Kieran Hines plays the big bag, the guy behind trying to sort of bring him down. Um, it's a little longer, I think, than it needs to be. There was a point in this, I think it was about an hour and 20 minutes in, where I thought it was wrapping things up, and then I checked, and there were 40 minutes left to go. I was Oof. like, well, okay, <laughs> I didn't need that. So I, uh, we don't have an official Empire review to hand. I don't know what we've given this. It's somewhere in the that kind of territory between a two and a three. Mm. Um, it's okay, oh, it's, it's fine, but, you know, I'll never watch it again. I can mm. tell you that. <laughs> I, I will say one thing, though. I did go into this with high expectations because this is directed by Simon Kellen-Jones. And Simon Kellen-Jones not only directed two episodes of The Diplomat, one of my favourite shows of this year, he has also directed episodes of C, one of my all-time favourite shows, <laughs> and yeah. The Expanse, one of my all-time favourite shows. So, uh, you know, he's a bit of a, a legend, but mm. not here. 
Simon Kethlin Jones apparently is how you Is it Kethlin? He's Welsh. Yeah, oh, apparently it's oh, Kethlin. Apologies so to Simon I, yeah, for butchering his so name. So I guess <laughs> Clanethly, I imagine it's the same way that that, that works. Uh, I think you're being a little harsh with the two-storiness of this. I had a good time with it. Uh, it's obviously fairly derivative. There's a lot of vacation meets true lies meets yes. long kiss goodnight, as you were saying in there. But uh, it's nice watching big stars like this have a have a fun time with things. I thought some of the action scenes were were very effective. Maggie Q well, uh, yes. is really good in this. Well, Maggie Q's in this. Yeah. Mission keep Impossible. An, yeah. Keep an eye out for Chekhov's Maggie Q early on in the film. <laughs> yes. I'm a big Maggie Q fan. Uh, I was a massive fan of Nikita. I am a massive fan of Nikita, uh, which he played the titular character for four seasons. I've actually been doing a mini rewatch of that recently. And yeah, still a lot of fun. So yeah, I wish that she was in more Mission Impossible as well. She's obviously in, in MI3, yeah. but then uh, no one no one hears from her again. Bring back Maggie Q and Paula Patton for the final Mission Impossible film. I would love that. Agreed. Agreed. Of course, there may never be a final Mission Impossible film, but I, I know what you mean. Mm. Uh, but yes, I uh, there's a this is a mini Mission Three reunion, of course, with Michelle Monaghan. They they yeah. shared precisely one scene, I believe, in that film right at the very very end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise, they were they were kept apart. Uh, but still, this is a uh, this this is pretty fun. It made me laugh a couple of times. The action scenes are, are competently handled. I'm fascinated by where Kieran Hines thinks his character's from, <laughs> uh, and maybe one day we will interview him and get the answer to that. He's supposed but, uh, to be yeah. <laughs> broadly British because someone there is a line about that in the film yes uh, but where yes. where in these British Isles I do not know I mean, that's the thing. They they actually say he's British. They say yeah. he's ex SAS, and then he turns up with some sort of weird Boston accent, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because uh, Mark Wahlberg's character is not even from Boston in this; he's from Buffalo. Yeah. It's it's I don't know. Anyway, say hi to your mother for me, and uh, I would I would definitely go three for this one. But uh, but Jimbo's been all Grinchy this week, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Blame Zack Snyder. <laughs> Oh, come on, come on. Anyway, I'm going to let Jimbo go now and uh, run off to eat some Christmas turkey. There's another Musketeers movie out, I'm on. Um, we could probably talk about it a little bit more next week's show, but it's the sequel to last year's Musketeers movie, The Three Musketeers. Mm. Uh, this is another French one, The Three Musketeers Milady. Uh, so this puts a focus, presumably, on Evergreen. Your powers of deduction are just uh, a sight to behold, uh, Chris. Really. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the last film was called Three Musketeers, colon, D'Artagnan. This is called Tom's yes. D'Artagnan. 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 Or I would also accept Dogtanian. Musket hounds are always ready. I'm on being at least a decade too young to know what the fuck we're talking about. That is correct. Putting the poor in Porthos. The musket hounds were legendary. <laughs> okay, so Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Okay. That's That's just say. <laughs> uh, this one is called Three Musketeers, Milady. And it picks up right after, right where the last one left off with young musketeer D'Artagnan, once again played by Francois Seville. Uh, he's chasing after his kidnapped love, Constance. And, and this leads to a temp- temporary alliance with the Milady of the title. Evergreen, um, who may or may not be working with a group of conspirators who want to spark a civil war in Francais. So, um, <laughs> Helen loved the last one. Like she yes. still bangs on about it. Yes, literally. I watched the first one of these, D'Artagnan, on the Sunday, and I watched Milady on the screening on the Monday because. Um, because of people like Helen and also Dan Jolan, who wrote the four-star review, kept going on about how good uh, D'Artagnan was. Not 
the man, although he's a good man, the film. Um, and I love swashbuckling films. Like one, one of my favorite movies to watch is The Mask of Zoyle. Um, I freaking loved that film. And this reminded me of that in that the sword play is done by the actors for real and it looks really really cool the action uh, at its best there's a lot of fluid camera work and long takes uh which just makes the action sequences hit even harder that's great um and the camera work itself there's one uh sort of chase sequence early on in which the cameraman basically follows d'artagnan as he does a boat dive um and it's awesome it reminded me do you know like how sometimes when Tom Cruise is doing uh, his uh, crazy Mission Impossible stunts, and some people will remark on Twitter, like, the cameraman was the real MVP. It, it, <laughs> it felt like that with that scene in particular, uh, because it was really, really cool. Um, Evergreen is just a fantastic yes. actress. Um, and here, she gets to f- showcase her full repertoire of skills as Milady, and it's awesome to see uh, she's so alluring, she's unpredictable, she's a seductress, she's duplicitous. You never quite know where Milady's allegiance lies, and you never quite know what Evergreen is going to do as an actress from scene to scene. So she's perfectly cast in this role. She also gets a little bit more to do on the action front, which is cool to see. Um, and even though there's a lot of really dramatic emotional moments uh, which do hit hard. There's a lot more for Vincent Cassell's Athos uh, to do in that regard. This is also a very funny film as well. Um, Romain Dury uh, is like the guy who probably gets the sort of uh, lion's share of one-liners um, and he and he makes a middle of them. It's a lot of fun. So this film, I, I had a good time with Four stars then for The Three Musketeers, Milady and... Basically, James and Amon have gone. Bit of time travel. It is now Friday, December 15th. I have spent quite some time editing this podcast, which explains why it is up pretty late. But I'm jumping in real quick to explain why this podcast is coming to a slightly abrupt end. Immediately after Amon reviewed The Three Musketeers, my lady, someone else, turned up to the studio and said, as is their right, oi! I've booked the studio, you malingering gets, now get out. And so, Lay did. And now, James has gone home, Amon is on a plane bound for Australia, tip nippers and all, and it's just me here to wrap things up, which I will do by saying that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, when we'll be joined by... Bradley Cooper and Kerry Mulligan from Latler Maestro. And yes, I know I said they'd be on this week's show, but then things changed, people changed, hairstyles changed. You know how it is. And we'll also be joined by Rosamund Pike, the brilliant star of Saltburn. Always happy to have her back on the podcast. And as ever, there might be one or two other guests knocking around somewhere. Right. That is it for me. I am off to listen to that new Mark Wahlberg sleep tape I keep hearing so much about. Say hi to Rip Van Winkle for me. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.